1: Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a three-time, 20-year breast cancer survivor. I'm also a professional speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life.
2: Hi, and I'm Sharon Hennethan, a 23-year survivor. I'm also a certified life coach and the author of the upcoming book, Thriving Beyond Cancer. We're the co-founders of Breast Friends, and there's so much to talk about um, using your own immune system to treat cancer. And today, we're going to learn a little bit more
1: about that. And today our guest is Dr. Bernie Fox from Providence Health Systems, and we invited Dr. Fox today not only because of his knowledge in this area, but also he's an authority on triple negative breast cancer. Welcome, Dr. Fox.
3: Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here.
2: We're so glad to have you, Dr. Fox. Um, I'd love for you to just kind of introduce yourself to the audience and tell us how you came into being in this field of work.
3: Well, I, I I've spent um, more than thirty years studying how to use the patient's immune system to fight um, cancer, and uh, I, I am part of the Providence Health System and a, a, an institute called the Early Childs Research Institute that developed about twenty twenty three years ago, and it's focused on on this field of cancer immunotherapy. Um, and I, I just want to make a, a quick note that that in in my work, I work with many different pharmaceutical companies. Um, and in, in, including uh, Bristol Myers Squibb and Merck um, and AstraZeneca, companies that are developing these drugs. And if there's something specific, I'll, I'll I'll make sure I acknowledge that. But that's part of my conflict of interest. I also teach at the um, at the Oregon Health Sciences University uh, Medical School, so I have both MD, MD PhD, and PhD students that I, I work with. Um, and i also to to more rapidly move these these new advances and developments in the field um, uh, now 11 years ago i formed a biotech company which has uh, clinical trials going on and will be starting a clinical trial of a breast cancer vaccine uh, in in early next year so oh, that's with so that exciting the way, yeah it's a very exciting time but but again, I, I go back, I've been doing this for more than 30 years, and I trained, I, I came to this by training in Dr. Steven Rosenberg's lab at the National Cancer Institute back in the 80s. Wow. Oh, good for you. And Dr. That's... Rosenberg was really a pioneer in this field of, of, immune, of using the body's immune system to fight cancer.
2: Yeah, that's wonderful. And you said the practice of oncology is undergoing really a big transition now. So what kind of transformation is, is it going through?
3: So. So oncology or the treatment of patients with cancer is is being transformed by by this a new paradigm, a new understanding, and that is the understanding that the immune system is the agent that improves outcome and cures people with metastatic solid cancer. Uh, This is a fundamental shift in our understanding of cancer, and it's something that I've been teaching medical students now for more than the last six years, but for the the, the physicians that are out there practicing in the field, um, that, that's a very new concept, a relatively new concept. And, and while we, we've been optimistic in thinking that this was important for for a big part of the last 30 years, it's only been developments in the last five to six years that have made this um, more clear to us, and we've given us the evidence and data to support that.
1: Well, that um, gives me goosebumps great. because you don't hear the word cure and metastatic cancer Often said in the same sentence right so. but
3: now, if you you'll see it 's been on the front page of The Wall Street Journal and the New York mm-hmm. Times and most of your other components and and I'm not saying it's easy and and we still don't think this happens it doesn't happen to many patients, but the better we understand what the basic principles are. And, and this is why it's, it's so important, and why I, I welcome the chance to be on your your show today to talk about this, because it, it, there, there's so much that people need to uh, appreciate in order to be able to make that leap of why do we think we can cure patients with cancer, and then it's going to it's why it's so important that your your listeners, if they if they're thinking or they've have breast cancer, are thinking about looking at clinical trials that will hopefully address these questions and, and help us develop uh, those 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 Potentially curative treatments.
2: That's amazing. Yeah, having a vaccine, uh, you know, to to work with breast cancer that would be um, amazing. So, are these trials that you're talking about are they actually for metastatic patients? Um,
3: there, there are uh, currently. I think there are. I just looked this morning, and there were seven um, clinical trials open for patients with triple negative breast cancer if you go to clinicaltrials.gov and put in the word triple negative breast cancer and immunotherapy, there are likely more trials that are open for patients with immunotherapy than that because there are many trials that are early that will take patients with almost any type of cancer. But there are already a number of trials that are focusing on uh, the, the triple negative breast cancer patients, and, and maybe we can talk some more about some of the new drugs that that, that we 're very excited about at least one of the drugs we 're very excited about for, for for triple negative breast cancer
1: and yeah, I think definitely. that that'll be great and, and we 'll definitely get into that but I, I have a question about immunotherapy because you know we 've had um, various people on our show who have talked about this, so Sharon and I have a pretty decent understanding of it, but can you just for our listeners kind of explain because I think a lot of people are under the the impression that we're talking about curing your, your cancer with broccoli, you know, and things that yeah. build your immune system. And we know it's more than that. So can you just give our audience of listeners just kind of a basic idea of what you mean by immunotherapy and, and how does it work?
3: So so let, let me first come back and, and, and step back to, to a basic understanding that, that many in our field now accept. And that is the concept that we think all of us develop cancer over our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and but we 're able to take care of it we 're able to eliminate it just like we 're able to eliminate a viral infection or a bacterial infection. We can eliminate the cancer but mm-hmm. but in those times when uh, when the cancer gets smarter and become very stealthy, or potentially in times when we 're under a great deal of stress. And, and our body makes makes factors, uh, uh, hormones that can actually uh, have immune inhibitory effects, or something else happens um, that the cancer gets an upper hand and is able to grow out. And so we're no longer, you know, able to eliminate the cancer, and so the cancer grows. Mm-hmm. That, that that is basic uh-huh. concept, and and that that has been now now proven very clearly in preclinical animal models. So looking at animal studies. And, and what we f- have found uh, more recently, and now there are well over 200 uh, peer-reviewed publications um, which, which, which have looked at this. But if you look at patients with cancer, if a patient, when they're first diagnosed, has a large number of immune cells, cancer killer cells, at the edges of their tumor and, and getting into their cancer, and compare that to patients who don't have any immune cells, The patients who have got the cancer killer cells at their cancer are going to do, uh, on average, much better than the patients who lack those immune cells, and so Mm -hmm. that's a new observation. Because for for decades, uh, the pathologists have, when they have looked at cancer biopsies, they, they they're looking for the cancer to see what type of cancer it is, what it looks like, you know, how angry does it look, and and these little immune cells have always been sort of contaminants getting in their way. But now we know that those immune cells are because if they're there the patients do better, we, we make certain assumptions about what they're doing. And and that's been a big basis for a lot of the research in in development of biomarkers but it's in, in the last several years. But it's also driving us to say, what can we do for those patients who don't have cancer killer cells? What can we do to bring them into the cancer? And, and while it's, it's a little less clear at, at this point, but the drugs that we're giving to patients now that, that are these, these new blockbuster drugs that appear to be working and have been approved and lung cancer and melanoma and kidney cancer and bladder cancer and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, those we think are all working by taking the brakes off the immune system and letting it kill the cancer. Uh, oh, and, and so
1: that's,
3: okay so if your immune system is not turned on, if you don't have those cancer killer cells, that drug isn't going to work in you that's the basic concept
2: okay and so, the so, vaccine so that just... you're talking about i'm sorry this vaccine that you were talking about is that then tr- turning on those those uh cells those uh immune cells
3: that's that's exactly the the concept and and that's what we are we're, we're, what 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 my, my, my research is trying to look at, but also the, okay. our our biotech company, which is called UBVAC, is also trying to, to work on. But there are a number of other companies that are taking that, that approach, um, trying to develop vaccines. I, I think what's happened, if, if, if the whole concept of vaccines is that they're they're good at turning on the immune system. But if you just turn on the immune system and don't get rid of the other things that the cancer can do to turn off the immune system vaccines alone won't work and and okay. we've seen that in in lots of animal models that that if you if you try to treat a mouse that's got a large cancer with a vaccine it never works but if you mm. combine it with something else you can uh, you can actually see very very pronounced effects in many models so okay. so the concept is you know can you educate a patient's immune system to see their cancer now, now, other people, other other investigators are thinking that that possibly um, chemotherapy or radiation might also educate the immune system to to fight cancer, and 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 that that may be be true, but but the data that we have seen with these these studies, like the ImmunoScore, where we are looking at before a patient has any treatment, we look at their tumor. If the patient doesn't have kill cancer killer cells in their in their tumor. It it doesn't make any difference what treatment they get. You know they're they're going to do on average less well than somebody who's got lots of immune cells. So so we think that's it. Made it may do that. It may turn it on, but we could make it even better potentially if we had a vaccine. And that's mm-hmm. where we've been focusing.
1: Wow, you know it's just such an interesting area because you know there's so many people that that. I mean, it's just, this is just exciting. I don't even know where to go with this. <laughs> it's, you know, when I think about when I went through, because I've gone through this three times, and when I went through it, you know, 20 years ago, this was not even a conversation. There was, you know, it wasn't really about your, you know, trying to do something to turn on your immune system. It's kind of like it either worked or it didn't. And, you know, we we used, I believe, in visualization and using, you know, our our body's mind and, and brain to kind of visualize sort of turning it on. I, Dr. Fox, you might kind of think this is humorous, but maybe this is along the same yeah. line. When I was going through my chemo, I used to picture in the chemo, I'd be sitting in the chemo chair, and i picture these little itty-bitty little army guys with their little um, you know, weapons being injected into my bloodstream, and that those little army guys were on a search-and-destroy mission to <laughs> destroy every cancer cell in my body. And I would lay there and just en- envision that happening. And so to me they were my cancer killers and so what you're talking about is turning on our own natural you know immune system to be able to do that same thing on that kind of search and destroy mission am i am i getting this picture right you, in my head
3: you're getting it exactly right. And I would just sure. say that the, the idea of visualization, I'm, I'm not against that at all, and I'll, I'll tell you briefly why. It, in, the, in the old days, we thought that these immune cells were just going through the blood, and, and how could your your nerves, your, your brain function, sort of impact them? Well, well, now we know that the brain has nerves that go out to every immune organ, to the lymph nodes, to the spleen, and so we know that those nerves can release um, little drugs, little hormones, and that the the immune cells, the cancer killer cells, have got receptors for those. So we now know that that these the, the, the nerves can control potentially control immune cells. So the idea that you could potentially use visualization, while it's not been been proven, I think it's it's well, and, and many people would still consider it a stretch. I, I'm, patients that I discuss this with, with I, I, I tell them, I, listen, it's, it's, it's possible that there are things that would be beneficial, and it certainly isn't going to hurt. Um, so I, I'm, I'm sort of a fan of that. You know, you're thinking of the armies, I'm thinking of the little Pac-Man cells.
1: Yeah, kind of going <laughs> I think that was Sharon's thing, and too. <laughs> yeah,
3: and, and, and percolating through your tissues, and, and mm-hmm. that's... Part of what's different about this in terms of, if you think about a drug that you have to take every, you know, a chemotherapist may have to take every two or three weeks until and then it goes away and then it's not there anymore, the immune cells, these cancer killer cells, if you can turn them on, they can live throughout your whole lifetime. And they continue to circulate, they continue to, they can multiply, they also will will die off at some times, but they're they're always there. And so they continue to sort of percolate through all your tissues looking for that cancer once you turn on the right kinds of cells. That is so exciting.
1: You know, uh, let me ask you about DCIS, because, you know, Mm -hmm. DCIS, which is ductal, uh, carcinoma in situ, which, you know, I'm going to let you explain the medical term for that, but there's a lot of controversy around early stage, if it's stage 0 DCIS or stage 1 DCIS, is it necessary to treat it or is your body's own immune system more likely to take care of it? Can you speak to that? Because that, that is really a question that comes up with us quite often with our patients.
3: Yeah. So one, um, I, I'm, of course, I'm a scientist and I'm in, in immunotherapy and, and I'm not um, uh, a, a clinical person. So I'm not going to, but, but so I I, I think there, there's a big question. It's not just for DCIS, but it's for many types of cancers and, and the data that, um, That, that we've just actually done a a very large study on. It's not in DCIS, but it's an early stage colon cancer. And we've done now almost 3,000 patients in 13 countries in a large standardized study that was just presented at the, at the big American Society for Clinical Oncology meeting. But, but it looks like in those cases that it's, if you get early stage cancer and you've got lots of immune cells, Those patients are going to have a a much higher twenty to thirty year survival in in the ninety-five to ninety-seven percent range. And we know that in in certain types of head and neck cancer, um, in some new data that has not yet been published, it looks like a a very similar finding. As you start to look at, if, if there's early stage cancer and there's lots of immune cells, it may be possible that those patients are going to do better. The problem is. Those tests are not yet standardized and validated, mm-hmm. and they have yeah. not yet been approved by the FDA or the EMA in, in Europe, and so it's, it's, it's very hard. But, but I, I believe that in the near future, that there are a number of, of, of academic centers and, and, and different companies in the diagnostic space that are working to develop the next generation of these technologies that I think will really help you assess your immune response at the site of your tumor and and then yeah. we we think we think that that's going to guide uh, the decision on treatment. So today I don't I I can't really comment on 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 the the DCIS controversy.
1: OK, OK, well, we're, okay. we actually have to uh, take a short break. So we're not done with this part of the conversation. So we'll pick it up on the other side. But before we go, I, I want to just make sure our listeners understand and realize that, you know, we have spent a lot of time on our shows in the past talking about palliative care and how important it is. Um, as part of the patient's total care package? And did you know that Regent's health plans offers the most comprehensive palliative care benefits, providing an added layer of support when you and your family need it most? So stay with us. We'll be back in a minute.
4: A fresh look at today's health, Voice America, Health and Wellness.
3: Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today.
4: When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states, giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regent's Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless.
3: Opinions, options,
4: answers. Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show.
2: We've been talking about immunotherapy with Dr. Bernie Fox. And, Dr. Fox, I know I've heard the terms PD1 and PDL1. But I have no clue what that what that means. Can you explain that for us?
3: Sure. Uh, PD1 and, and PDL1 are are, are two molecules um, that are present on different cell types. And and PD1, or is called, is the abbreviation for Program Death One. That's present on your cancer. It can be upregulated on your cancer killer cells. When they, when they first start off, they don't express it. But when they become activated and can have killer function, they'll have this this. Program Death One expression on their cell, excuse me
1: are you saying death one or death
3: program death death One, so what it does is when you wow. get activated cancer killer cells and or against an immune cell against anything, what your body does is it has a a, a protection mechanism to say, well, maybe we don 't want those cells those those killer cells to be around so we 'll put this program death one, and if they run into something that has got a ligand for that or something that can bind that, and that's what program death ligand one is. If, if PD-1 bumps into PDL one it'll send a signal to the cell with the PD-1 on it and shut that cell off. It can turn it off. It can, um, we call it tolerizing, or it can even lead, by the name program death, it can lead to the cell to to die. So, so it turns out that the cancer killer cells, when they get activated, express program death one And that some tumor cells have figured out that they can escape the immune, you know, the cancer killer cells' effects by expressing PD-L1. So they express PD-L1, and and that's part of what can shut off the immune system. Sometimes it's cancer cells that express it, but sometimes it's other immune cells that the the cancer can co-opt and, and get the other immune cells to 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 express the PDL one. And essentially it acts as a barrier. So even if your body's immune system is turned on to fight the cancer, uh the the if the tumor upregulates program death ligand one or, or PDL one, it can actually shut off the cancer killer, killer cells and put a brake on them so that they can't kill them.
1: And, wow. It sounds like something out yeah, of a Star thing, Trek that, movie. That, that, that- <laughs>
2: That's when the cancer
3: gets too smart, <laughs> it sounds like. Right, and, and so that's been the, the big breakthrough, essentially, and, and where all the excitement has been, is because this first class of drugs that, that interfere with that, that interfere with the program death one and the program death ligand one, the first drug to, drugs to develop that, that interfere with that have had these remarkable effects in patients with many different types of diseases, which is what's changed oncology because in the past, uh, patients with melanoma or renal cancer could sometimes be treated, but now it's patients with all these other diseases. And I'll, I'll just give you a, a, one one brief example. For melanoma, another skin cancer, which is the number one cancer in women between the ages of 25 and 30, so it's a young mm-hmm. person's disease, secondary to sun exposure, and Given all the other things with the ozone, you want to make sure your listeners are putting on their their sunscreens. But that cancer, for 20 years, the two-year survival rate was 9 to 12%. It didn't change. No drug ever worked. And a drug that was, uh, was a study that was led by my colleague here, Dr. Walter Irva, what did the first time ever a drug in immunotherapy showed a survival rate. And it more than doubled that response. And that went up to uh, 22 to 24%. And that was the f- one of these first checkpoint molecules. But then wow. anti-PD-1 came out. So after 20 years, that was now five years ago or so. Then anti-PD-1 came out, this drug that could interfere with PD-1. That drug took it up to 35%. The combination of those two drugs together have taken it to above 50%. To your survival. Oh, with patients, is very news. durable. So, mm-hmm.
1: so is this still trial stage or is this becoming standard of care?
3: So that's now been approved by the FDA, mm-hmm. the anti-PD-1 okay. for melanoma patients. But that drug is the drug that is also being, it, it's been approved for patients with lung cancer. So lung cancer, is the number one cancer in the world, um, you'll see that that the, the anti-PD-1 has more than, than twice the response rate and the, the two-year survival rate than over, um, over the standard chemotherapy. And in fact, data was presented at, at, at the European Society for Medical Oncology meeting last weekend and was published simultaneously in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, on Sunday that showed that, you know, because in the, in the past, patients had been treated after they had failed chemotherapy. So now there was a study that was done where they, instead of giving patients chemotherapy first, they just went right on to immunotherapy, and it showed that the immunotherapy in, in, in the patients with, with lung cancer, they, they did better than the patients who got chemotherapy. Now, now wow. there's, some and there's still a smaller study, but this is exciting because it's, it's getting Very. to a point where, where we think we're going to change the paradigm for how patients are treated.
2: Mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. that's amazing. That makes complete sense. It's, it it kind of reminds me of with breast cancer how a lot of times they will do the chemotherapy first to shrink the tumor and then do surgery rather than when I was um, diagnosed 23 years ago. They just had to go to chemo first and, and or excuse me. Have surgery first and then do chemotherapy, just in case, sort of thing. So right. that standard of care is is definitely shifting in in many cases, and so that's that's an interesting addition to our our cancer world. Wow! And this is like up to date. You said Sunday. It was <laughs> that's last, last
3: Sunday, so less than a week ago. Now I, I must say um, again that 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 the, the, the treatment that is currently being used with with upfront chemotherapy, part surgery, that's still the standard, and that still has mm-hmm. the, the best results in controlled clinical trials. But but right. the, the, the point here that we're in, in lung cancer, different disease, but we're seeing that there is, there is an effect in, 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 in patients, and it can work. It doesn't need to have had chemotherapy up front. Um, but but it's it's still going to be it's going to be time. It's we're, we're we're nowhere near perfect yet. We're, we're we've got increased response rates, but there's so much more to do. And and we and be, and thanks to the, really the support of the National Cancer Institute and the American taxpayer to fund the basic research that's been going on, we have a, a whole armamentarium of new agents that are being developed that we can test, and guided by the science, by understanding how the immune system works, we have a way to do this in a much more uh, intelligent way, we think, to do these combinations. But there's still mm-hmm. just a, a lot of great basic research that needs to be done yet, and then a lot of the early clinical trials to see what's going to work best. And we've got to study each patient, I think, uh, to great to depth to make sure that, uh, that, that what we think we're doing, we're doing, so we can make it better. And that's one yeah, I mean, the patients that go on the clinical trials play a critical role, and they're the real brave people out there that are that are doing this to go on to these studies
1: yeah mm-hmm. they, absolutely they certainly are well, you know no, what well, can we no, can like, we switch gears for a minute and let and talk about triple negative breast cancer because that you know when a woman is diagnosed with that it 's pretty scary, and I you know because they don 't know really what 's feeding it, so how do we? What's coming up on that? Is there any research? What's what's being done in that arena?
3: Sure. So so I think you're right. That's a a very tough disease. It's a disease where the cancer cells have lost these growth receptors, but are still growing. So they've they've lost they're, they're triple negative. So they've lost the estrogen receptor, the progesterone receptor, and the human epidermal growth factor receptor. So the HER2 receptor. They've lost all three of those those. Controlling mechanisms, and yet they're still growing like crazy. So they tend to be in younger women. They tend to have a higher incidence in, in, in African American descent and in people from uh, the African continent. Um, and and also in BRCA1 uh, patients, that they they tend to have higher incidence. So and they tend to be more aggressive. Um, and so what's happening? So so there there is some early data. It's been published. Uh, Several months ago, in the Journal of Clinical Oncology, of of giving an anti-PD one or one of these checkpoints to women with advanced triple negative breast cancer, mm-hmm. and what I find very interesting about this, and it's still a small a small number of patients. There were there were there were only thirty two women were were treated. But of those 32 women, there were, it was one woman who had a complete response, and these were women, and that, that patient had had um, eight lines of prior treatment for her metastatic disease. So that's eight different wow. chemotherapy regimens, hmm. and had progressed hmm. through all those, and yet she had a complete response to this immunotherapy, which tells you a little bit about how the tumor escaped. Yeah. There were, wow.
2: There, there, were,
3: there were four other patients, you know, again, that, that had... Partial responses in seven with, with stable disease. But at the time of the publication, they had not yet reached the, the duration of, of the, of the the, 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 the disease response. So one of the problems with triple negative breast cancer is that with many therapies, women will have a response. But often, most often, those are of short duration. The response doesn't last for long and the cancer can come back again. You're what right. we're finding really exciting, or what I see is very exciting about this data with anti-PD1, is that it appears that the patients who do respond, it's it's being durable, it's it's lasting, and um, and so again, it's early, it's small numbers, but you don't see durability very often in triple negative breast, you know, durability of response very often in triple negative breast cancer. So we see this as very exciting. And, and I think oh, I that, can see, yeah. yeah.
1: Go ahead. You know, for the patient that's kind that of, that. this, this is all works. new to, um, you know, when we talk about triple negative, for example, I was estrogen receptor positive, so that means my cancer is feeding on estrogen. And so they've figured out how to shut that off by giving me these aromatase inhibitors that stop estrogen production or at least slow it down or block it, and that keeps it from being fed. And then there's the ones who are the cancers that are fed by HER2, which is um, then blocked with a drug called Herceptin. And Dr. Fox, I remember years ago when when HER2-positive breast cancer was really, was not good. And then they discovered Herceptin and all of a sudden that picture changed. And so they've been able to resolve that. And then progesterone, how do they treat progesterone-positive breast cancer? Is that...
3: you know, I, I just—I'll come back to the part, but the, the herceptin was a great example because that's. Um, another type of immunotherapy, which is using mm-hmm. part of your immune system oh. to, to make an antibody to actually fight and, and and to bind to that receptor to prevent the signaling. Um, but the, your, your specific question about pro- progesterone receptors, you know, I'm again, it's the my, the clinical part that I do is has to do with the immunotherapy part and not so much on the the the, in, the estrogen or the progesterone inhibitors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what are the right agents for that today.
1: Okay. Okay, but as far as triple negative, it, what we're, just kind of to recap, your yeah. cancer, if you're triple negative, is not feeding on any of those things, and so the difficulty then is to figure out what is feeding it and how do you stop it, and so what I'm hearing you say is that by... Um, Turning on your immune system, your your body can then figure out how to fight it because it it knows what it's feeding on and it can block it. Am I am I hearing
3: that right? So yeah, I, I think that's that's yeah that's mostly correct. I think the part about the when they're triple negative, we don't I don't specifically know what what is driving the cancer. It's almost like it's in, endogenously it, it's driving itself. So what what we have to do is have to say okay, what is on that cell? I mean, if the cells growing like crazy it 's making lots of, of, of proteins that that, that tell it to, to to proliferate and just keep going like crazy, so those proteins are being overexpressed and those are all things that the immune system could target so what we're doing, what we 're trying to do with the cancer killer cells is say okay there's lots of different things in that cancer let 's look at trying to to recognize 10 or 20 or 100 of those and let's see if we can turn on cancer killer cells it'll see 10 or 20 or 100 of those different targets and so regardless of what that cancer does if it tries to shut off one or two or three of those proteins which it can do to try and escape or evade the immune system the immune system can still see that there's lots of other things there that it knows shouldn't be there and it can kill those cells so it's, it's not targeting so much whatever the growth mechanism, it's targeting the byproduct of that. It's, it's targeting whatever the cell's making, at least we think, this is the concept, that whatever it's making a lot of that it needs to grow, let's go ahead and turn on the immune system to recognize all that and kill those cells. Um, Interesting. Th- that's the basic concept.
2: Okay. okay. That, that's, well, I um, appreciate this, Dr. Fox, because you're taking a very complex, topic and kind of breaking it down so lay people like wow. Becky and I and hopefully a lot of our listeners can really understand this system a little bit easier. So thank you for doing that. So let me just ask you a quick question. And I know this is kind of um, off the subject a little bit, but I know as a patient, how can I help turn on my immune system better? Are there, are there things that we can do to help this process as we, you know, go through these trials and all of these things that are going on? Um, is there something we can do as a patient?
3: <laughs> so it's, this is an, a little bit of a controversial area, but, area but, but I think most people appreciate that a balanced diet is something that's important, um, keeping you yourself active uh, to the extent that you can. And I, I think the idea of, uh, we, we know that more and more that um, that being overweight or, or being obese um, tends to, to be a bad component for your immune system. This idea of, because of, of, what it, we know it does is it raises your body's overall inflammation level. And, uh, right. and so that's, that's, that's bad. So this, that's going to be the next wave of our, of our cancer risk. So the things you can do is eat a well-balanced diet, Get rest, get some exercise, and, and if, and and I think try to keep your, your weight in balance.
1: This just yeah, sounds like great that. logical information for people who maybe they haven't even had cancer and they want to avoid cancer. If we can get our immune system to turn itself on prior to something like that happen happening, then that could help us avoid our risk. And that just makes so much sense to me.
3: <laughs> right. And I have recently heard the, the chief medical officer for the American Cancer Society speak briefly about this whole impact of obesity on health and it's it is really a, a time bomb for the american population that are mm-hmm. are the fact that we there, there's a higher percentage of people that are overweight that's going to lead to more what we call inflammation which is which is just a a a, a condition in your body where you're going it, to it's going to make you more susceptible to getting cancer so mm-hmm. that's going to be the next it's w- sort of like we were exposed to smoking for so long before people started to realize that smoking was important for cancer. And I think this work that I think the American Cancer Society has been doing and, and will be be uh, helping to educate the American population on, it's going to be this whole idea of obesity and cancer risk.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, so this one is... quick other question about that too is, so if I'm doing everything I can, you know, exercising, eating right, those kinds of things, does that then show that I have more cancer-killing cells that you were talking about?
3: <laughs> that's that's a good question too. So so uh, we we don't know because for for many of those conditions. We're not exactly sure what the cancer killer cells are against, and we have to have a lot more information in a, for a specific patient to be able to tell how many cancer okay. killer cells you've got in your bloodstream. Okay. Um, so that that's a, that's a great question. I wish we had a way to easily look at it. But but there there are studies to that that, that are, are looking to, to try and address that and and the way that it's been addressed more clearly is in animal models and in animal models it's easier to ask those studies and it looks like mm-hmm. you can definitely get better res- responses in the mice that have been felt, fed a healthy diet and are are, are not uh, are, are not obese and and, and their their activity level is pretty pretty reasonable
1: okay, okay. you right. know what we need to take another break so we're going to uh, disappear for a moment. Um, If you have any questions about our immune system or about triple negative breast cancer and you would like to speak to Dr. Fox, give us a call at 866-472-5792 and hang in with us. We'll be back in a couple minutes.
4: Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Thank
0: you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today.
3: Opinions, options, answers. Voice America
0: Health & Wellness. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show.
2: Hi, we're back from our break. Um, We've been talking about triple negative breast cancer and immunotherapy with Dr. Bernie Fox. So while we were on the break, I had a thought because I just finished the book Grain Brain, and it really talks a lot about inflammation and how that is really causing brain problems, brain fog, uh, some of our Alzheimer's problems, as well as of course cancer and other you know ailments. So I got I got to pick your brain about that one. <laughs> what do you think about sure. that, Dr. Fox?
3: Well, it, you know, it's 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 interesting. The, um, the this whole idea of, of of what affects our body and our brain, it's it it, it is a, a very exciting area. And I'll just say that if you if you go back and, and from from animal studies, again, we know that the bacteria that are in your gut, that are in your intestines, in male mice, they control the testosterone level in the male mice, they can, which is controlled through the brain. And this was a whole thought that we didn't we, we didn't understand that at all and so when you're eating grains and and you you have uh and, and grains are good for you certainly too but when you when you have The things that live in your body, the bacteria, which are really 90% of all the cells in your body are in your intestines, and they're your bacteria, those bacteria are making things that are controlling us. And there are studies that are going on now looking at the impact of of the bacteria on on psychoses and on Alzheimer's and on diabetes and on cancer. And so we, Mm -hmm. we know that the bacteria in the gut can clearly control the immune system in preclinical models, and there's data coming out of clinical trials that suggest that um, that certain types of bacteria may be beneficial or preferential to help patients have their immune system fight their cancer. So, uh, I, so while I haven't read the book, um, I, I, I I don't doubt for a second that part of the mechanism by which that works is is sculpting the bot, the, the, the the gut. And 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 I would just say there's a, for your listeners that are interested. There's Dr. Robert Knight, who's down at UCSD, who's got the American Human Microbiome Project. And, uh, and he's got a survey, and he does 30,000 patients a month. And he's, he's looking at all these different parameters in and, and, and cancer and, and health are, are one of the things he's, he's also got listed in his book and his, uh, his studies.
2: Interesting. Uh-huh. Well, I think I'm I'm really more curious than ever. You know, it, it's a, a bit frightening when you think about it. Um, but again, it makes sense what we put in our bodies does affect our quality of life and how our body functions. So I guess it does make sense overall. So, Becky, you have some other questions?
1: Yeah, I do. You know, we're just, we're coming to the we're in the last segment obviously of the show and I would really love to hear from you Dr. Fox. You know, what is on the horizon for breast cancer patients? What's coming up? What just anything you can give us that will give us some hope and with all these billions of dollars being spent on research, it's good to know that they're making progress. So, so I not you share some of that progress with us.
3: You know, it is It is really, uh, you have to realize that for many of these cancers where we've not seen any impact for a very long time, that, that immunotherapy is now having a profound impact, and it's 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 being proven in in clinical trials that are being run around around the globe, and it's leading to approval by the FDA, by the European Medicine Agencies, by the the, the Chinese FDA is is certainly evaluating all these as well, and Japan has approved uh, the anti-PD1 as well. So so the, these drugs are coming, and so patients need to be aware that there's reasons for hope. I'm not giving you unrealistic hope. I'm, I'm telling you that there are studies that are being developed, some studies that are already being opened, that are, that are providing a, a, a potential for effective treatments for patients with, with breast cancer. So, so so some of those I'll just, i just I can maybe kinda of cover a couple of different areas. So so one area is the idea it's it's based on sort of like Herceptin. We, you know We talked about an antibody against HER2 new which can block that growth factor and, and give women with HER2 positive cancers a, a, a positive effect, you know, anti-tumor effect. But there are other other drugs that are being developed that are like antibodies that can actually bind to something on one end but, But, on the other end, instead of just having a tail, they 've got another molecule that binds to cancer killer cells, and those molecules, things like like bispecifics or what they call darts um, these, these these agents can potentially bring cancer killer cells to the cancer even when they're not when the cancer killer cells aren 't programmed to see the cancer, they can just bring them in there and turn them on and activate them to kill the cancer so that's a very exciting area. Another area that people have heard a lot about probably has been these engineered uh, cells, the genetically engineered cells. We, we've seen that in, in children with leukemia, it's been amazing, right? These kids who are just dying, 95% of those kids are getting complete responses to wow. to this drug. and this has been a it's it's a miraculous sort of approach and there are several companies that are developing that technology. Um, and it's primarily right now for people with certain types of, of leukemias or lymphomas. But but they're also being being developed for patients with, with breast cancer. And so those studies are studies that are, are, are being opened and I, I, I you will you'll find those when they when they're popping up on clinicaltrials.gov. The other area is, of course, what we talked about, anti-PD-1. So anti-PD-1 is just the first kind of drug in that class. There are going to be, oh, geez, 50 or 60 other drugs that are going to be all different, different kinds of pathways that are that are using the immune system to, to try and augment the, the cancer killer cells so they can kill the cancer better and those are coming they you'll you'll find them on, on again on clinicaltrials.gov and and so those are are, are, are working their way, way way through to to patients with with advanced cancer so we're, we're optimistic that uh, that the studies initial studies that we've seen with patients with with breast cancer with triple negative breast cancer were you know it, again a small number but about twenty percent of them had objective responses and they were durable responses that, w- that we can get a higher percentage of patients as we start to do some of these combinations and I guess the last thing that we are really optimistic about and and hopeful for based on, again, animal data, is that if we can educate the immune system with things like vaccines, where we can turn on the immune response broadly to see many different targets, not just one or two or five, but but for for potentially very large numbers of targets, we think that will help us control the cancer so it won't get out of hand, and if we need to add things like anti-PD-1 or these other drugs which take the breaks off the immune system, that that will help. And so we're optimistic about that, again, based on lots of early data in clinical trials and preclinical models. And I would just say that for women at risk, so if you start to think about your BRCA1 positive women, there's a day coming, not too distant future, where you'll have another option. Instead of looking at bilateral mastectomy or every six-month mammograms, I think for women who don't want to go through the surgery, the option to take a vaccine and have every six month mammograms will be something that will be coming in the not too distant future.
1: Oh, that think, is so oh, exciting.
3: I, I think that's, <laughs> oh, that's really something that, that we've been talking about with, with several groups to, to look at that. Um, and I, you know that's going to be the future. And It's not just going to be for, for women whose children have got BRCA1 or BRCA2 positive mutations but it's going to be i think for more broadly for patients with other diseases as well men with prostate cancer or men at high risk of prostate cancer in other diseases and if you stop to think about it it's only been a few years since the the virally induced liver cancer w- was a huge risk for people that had um the hepatitis B virus but it's been the vaccine for hepatitis B has essentially eliminated that cancer so our children's That's amazing.
1: Can, Yeah you know, so, mm. you know, yesterday I was at a meeting. I was at a meeting and a and a woman sitting across from me said with the best of intentions, I know, and and I'd love to have a better answer for her than the one I gave her, but she said, you know, with this breast cancer, I mean, it used to be terrible, but people don't die from it anymore, so it's getting better. And I said, well, unfortunately, you know, we still lose far too many. And she said, why is that? And I told her because cancer is evil and it doesn't always play fair. (laughs) So, yeah. So when what kind of hope? Yeah. What kind of hope can I give people when they make a comment like that? Because I mean, I know it's partly based on just lack of knowledge and understanding, but we do still lose too many women to breast cancer. And it's all these things you're telling us are exciting. So, what can I? tell her that the next time somebody asks me that, you know, why are we still losing women? What can I tell them?
3: So, so I'll tell you that, that the things I talked about, about your immune system fighting cancer and that we think the people who have got their immune system turned on do better. It's mm-hmm. today, 2016, there is not an FDA approved test that can characterize a woman's immune response against their cancer. Mm. We need yeah. to have that we, this global study in colon cancer is is leading to the fact that we will have a test like that for colon cancer, but we need that kind of test because it's only going to be with these sort of standardized tests that will let us identify the women who are going to be going to do better, we think, and the ones who will respond to the p d one or checkpoint blockades and and for other patients who aren't going to respond and need much more aggressive treatment and maybe much more aggressive immunotherapy than somebody who's got their immune killer cells there mm-hmm. um, and and that 's where I think I, I think part of this has been you know it 's been a black box treating women with breast cancer we 've had your estrogen receptor, your progesterone your your her2 new a few other markers, um, but we haven 't understood what 's really keeping it in check and and with this understanding that the immune system keeps it in check um, or, or can keep it in check and can help them, and then realizing why it doesn 't cure them, we can help those patients. But that's that's all recent. That's all been developed the last several years, and and so it's going to take a little more time. But it is coming. It is coming, and there are
1: so clinical great. trials
3: that are that are trying to figure this out. And and that's why yeah. I encourage that the more people that go on clinical trials sooner, the faster we're going to have an answer, and the more likely they're going to have some benefit mm-hmm. from these treatments. You
1: know, we are we are just about out of time. So I want to I want to ask this question before we do run out of time. If you're a patient and you're listening, and you know, and honestly, we have we have women and people who listen all over. the the world. Um, We have thousands of downloads a month and we would love to make sure that everybody that's listening to this program understands how do they get involved in a clinical trial and I can only give you about a two-minute response to that. So how can they do it?
3: So I think on your link you've got the, the SID Cancer link, which is the Society for Immunotherapy of Cancer, which is the largest professional medical society that focuses on cancer immunotherapy. And if you forget the Society for Immunotherapy of Cancer. If you remember, Sex in the City. Sex in the City, S-I-T-C. And search that on the web, you'll find that link. And you'll find patient resources. And that will take you to clinicaltrials.gov. It will take you to free information to help educate patients on immunotherapy. And it's all been peer-reviewed because, you know, you can find almost anything on the web that you want to find. This will be mm-hmm. medical information that you can trust um, that's been done with, with uh, WebMD and some other programs. So it's, it's there. But it will link you back. The clinicaltrials.gov. The other mm-hmm. one to check is the National Cancer Institute. So the nationalcancerinstitute.gov has got websites and has information, trusted information, for patients with, with any type of cancer. And so I, I would encourage you to look at, at those sites, and, and they will link you back to the clinicaltrials.gov website.
1: Okay. And if you live in a small community where maybe you're just getting the best care you can get there, can those people still have access to clinical trials?
3: They, they can access they can get access to clinical trials. Unfortunately, not all trials are available in all sites. Um, okay. Some trials are, are, especially the new trials where there may be, they're still wondering what the toxicities are. You may have to go to a major medical center okay. um, to obtain those. Uh, but but I, I just, you know, to the extent, and I realize that's a problem with, with our healthcare system, um, mm-hmm. any healthcare system with population spread over a, a great distance. But, sure.
1: Is there I, any financial was, support for that kind of travel?
3: Different groups have got travel. I, I know okay. um, our company had a trial, and, and, and we actually provided some financial support to uh, people at one of the centers who needed help with travel. So I think that that's okay. possibly available.
1: Awesome. Good. Well, we are we are technically out of time, and so we have to we have to leave. But um, Dr. Fox, you have been an amazing guest. You are so knowledgeable. You've been so helpful. And we just really want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be on this show with us. This this show will repeat tonight at 10 p.m. Pacific. So if anyone missed it this morning, they can do that. Or they can go to our host um, page and download this the archive here in about, it'll be live on our show in about an hour. So um, again, we have to go and we will be back next week. But until then, remember, there is always hope and we're here to help you find it.